Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now here's Pastor Chris with today's message. If you found your way to Mark chapter 1, let me introduce the message to you this way. No study of the church can be seriously considered if it doesn't seriously consider the subject of prayer. When, uh, think about that for just a second, then let me remind you that when Jesus became angered at the temple, you don't see Jesus uh, losing his temper very often, but when he became angry at the temple because of the commercialization of religious worship, When he saw how it had crowded out access to the presence of God, he upended the commerce and declared this priority of God for his gathered assembly. It's in Matthew 21, verses 12 and following, where Jesus says, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you're making it a robber's den. And the blind, listen, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. There's something about turning our focus back to where God always intended our focus to be that is inviting to those who are in most desperate need to come into the presence of Jesus and find the healing that they seek after. So as we'll see today by the actions of those who follow Jesus and the teaching of the word, prayer is essential and God's people are, in fact, by design, people of prayer. We're in Mark 1. I want to begin in verse 35 and I'm going to invite you, if you're able, stand with me in honor of the word of God. Mark 1, beginning in verse 35. And the Bible says, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. Pause right there and pray with me. Father, even in these moments, would you speak to our hearts and would you tune our hearts to your heart that we would be, in fact, a people of prayer. May we hear you and take you seriously and respond in a way that honors your holy name. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You be seated. Thank you for standing. If you've got a Got your church app, you can open up to the sermon notes there and you'll find an outline of today's message under, your, under that tab on your app. Or if you'd like an outline, you can simply text the word notes to the number that pops up on your screen and we'll send that to you to your device and you can follow along. Or you grab that worship folder that you got on the way in and you could just jot down some notes on the back side. I want you to, I want you to trace this with me that, uh, that God always intended for us to be a people in constant, ongoing, real, vibrant, lively communication with Him at every moment of every single day. Notice with me these three elements of prayer that we're given together and taught to understand as people of Prayer. Notice, first of all, with me, the priority of prayer, the priority of prayer. 
You say, well, Chris, I heard what you read in the scriptures, but I didn't see priority. Well, look at it in verse 35 again. He says, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place and was there praying. He was praying there. Now that may seem a little bit unremarkable to you, but don't don't overlook the context of it because any text without a context is just a pretext for something a preacher wanted to say. You can find the thrust, the weightiness of that priority by looking in the context of where it appears as Mark gives us this gospel. In verses 23 to 26, we see a demon-possessed man in the synagogue and Jesus casts out the demon from the man. In verses 29 and following, we see Jesus goes to Peter's, uh, to Peter's home and there he heals Peter's mother-in-law who was sick with fever and with sickness and the word began to spread. It was, it was <laughs> I ain't believe I'm going to say that. It spread faster than bad news on social media. Word got out everywhere. Come and see this one who brings healing. And the Bible says that Jesus was covered up with people all throughout the day. Verse 32 to 34 of the text says, When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. This is what goes on just preceding the passage which we read. And oh, by the way, based on Peter's remarks in verses 36 and verse 37, it appears the crowds were still after him the next day. So after a long day of ministry, after countless hours of of dealing with brokenness and hurt and and need and and pursuit and, and, and all the little thumbs ups and likes that you can get on social media, after all of that, Jesus goes to sleep, but he rises early. Even with the demands mounting for the day, and he prioritizes prayer time alone with the Father. But can I tell you, it's not just a one-off thing. This is characteristic of his life. Jot down with me Luke chapter 5, verse 16. It says, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Why the wilderness? Because the disciples didn't go there. They were at McDonald's or Starbucks. He went out to the place where nobody else was. And got along with it where only he and the Father were in order to commune with him. The Son of God. And this was characteristic of his life. You might even agree with me and say that prayer was not an element of his ministry or just part of his day. But it was the very centerpiece of his essence. It is in fact central to every element of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. It was there where he best grasped in his humanity. He best grasped the heart of holy God and knew where to focus his attention and his energy and his efforts. Luke 6 verses 12 to 13 described that as Jesus is preparing to call the disciples, it says it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray. He didn't say he went to strategize and read the latest strategy book or the latest business book or the latest church growth book, but he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. Friends, I'm here to say to you, Jesus, Jesus put prayer and modeled and exemplified prayer at the very centerpiece 
of his life, his very essence. And with the demands on his ministry, and with a limited amount of time, Jesus still prioritized prayer as the Son of God. Is there an instruction for us in this? I think so. Hey, it was Martin Luther who made this statement, quote, I have so much to do that I'll spend the first three hours in prayer. Wait, Chris, that's not what I usually say. I usually say my schedule's so jam-packed, I give God a drive-by prayer on my way to the car before I spin tires leaving out onto the street to get to work on time. I know, that's you and me, we're sinful. That's not the Son of God. And those that have, when they catch his heart and they follow him closely, they say, man, before I get busy, I need to get, I need to get with him to understand. That's the priority of prayer. But notice secondly with me, the people of prayer. The people of prayer. Jesus' example it's not just my idea that this is how he's seen. You see it lived out and modeled among those who walked with him every day. It was caught by the disciples. And by the way, that's where most examples, uh, that's where most of these habits are found, not in his instruction, though he did instruct this way, but in his example. They saw this in his life. So that even after his ascension, we find that prayer is still a mainstay of the early church. In fact, it's the centerpiece of those who walked with him. I, I wish I could show you all the verses. There are hundreds. I can't give you all of them. But let me give you just a couple to, to maybe accentuate what it is I'm saying to you. Acts chapter 1 verse 14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Along with, this is the church by the way. This is how the early church, excuse my bad grammar. This is how they done this is what they did. This is their focus. With all with one mind, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. After, after Pentecost, after, uh, after the Holy Spirit's come, after Peter's preached, verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Acts 6, verses 3 and verse 4. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But, here's the disciples, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the Word. Now, Paul's right there. This is the foundational leaders, the apostles in the early church. And not only were they men committed to prayer, but I want you to notice the priority, the preeminence they place on it. They put it not as a precursor to ministry of the word, but as an equal type of ministry to the ministry of the word. They said, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. In fact, in a book I just read, um, finished up a couple of months ago by Pastor J.D. Greer from over in Raleigh. J.D. rightly observes that uh, for the apostles, prayer and ministry of the word were two equal things. Listen to this quote, quote, prayer for them was not merely a preparation for ministry. It was ministry. 
It was what Jesus had sent them into the world to do. Paul's right there. Prayer was what Jesus had sent them into the world to do. You say, I, I, I thought we just, I thought we just prayed to get stuff to do so we could just go do it. I know it, it makes sense. We do do stuff beyond prayer. But now listen, prayer is a big piece of what God has sent us into the world to do. If, we're, if we don't do that, we don't, we don't do what we were made to do. He goes on to make this statement. He says, here is my concern for our churches and our individual Christian lives today. What was fundamental for the early church has become supplemental in the 21st century church. What was fundamental for the early church has become supplemental in the church that we live in today. And before you throw rocks and say, what does he know? I'd say, pull out our calendars and look. Is it in fact fundamental or supplemental? Is it intentional, willful, prioritized, or is it ancillary? Is it important, but maybe not the most important thing? Man, I tell you, it's convicting to me. I don't know about you, but it is for me. Now, why, why pray? Well, prayer was for, it was pursued for instruction, in pursuit of provision. It was an act of worship and adoration. It was intended to produce or to reveal or to provoke power and protection, effectiveness and mission, intimacy with God and blessing. Prayer is, it's a gateway to all of these things. What prayer always was and is, is the God-ordained, modeled, and commanded means by which God's people connect with Him. Let me say that again. What prayer always was and is, is the God-ordained, modeled, and commanded means by which God's people connect with Him. We leave so much on the table if we don't first make the connection. John was spending some time one weekend. He said, I think I'm going to clean up the house here. And uh, he grabbed a, went upstairs and he dusted a little bit. And then he grabbed the vacuum out of the closet. And he, uh, he began to push it around on the carpet. And he noticed that it just, it wasn't doing nothing. And he did what all guys do. He took the off-on switch and he flipped it seven or eight times. And then he stared at it for a while. Then he took the vacuum and flipped it upside down and looked at the rollers as if they were responsible. And then he put it back down and gave it a few swift kicks. Then he resigned the vacuum cleaner must be broke. So he just walked off. His wife came along later and said, what's the problem? He said, vacuum's broke. She said, no, it's just not plugged in. You know, sometimes we wonder why ministry's broke. We wonder why folks aren't saved. We wonder why brokenness runs rampant. And could it be that we've yet to take time to plug into the source where all of that changes through prayer, the people of prayer. Notice not just that priority in those people, but notice number three, the practices of prayer, the practices of prayer. Now, let me say to you as a guy who, uh, by the way, I've not yet been to, this is a good by the way, I've not yet been to 
a pastor meeting where pastors had an opportunity to talk without other folks listening except other pastors? Because we talk to ourselves a lot too, but we don't always listen to ourselves. Anyway, I've yet to be to a meeting like that where any pastor stood up and said, man, my prayer life is killing it. All right? Present company included. I'm not sitting here telling you, oh man, I've mastered this. I read stuff like what Martin Luther said and I go, ooh, man, I thought I was doing good at an hour or 30 minutes. Brother said, I'm so busy, I need three hours of prayer. It, so I'm not telling you as somebody that said, man, I, I own this, you people are terrible. That's not what I'm doing. But what I am saying is, is that it could be, it could be that while we want more of what God does in prayer, we're not doing the prayer through which God does more of. You never get, listen to me, you never get better at fishing except by fishing. If you're a carpenter, you never get better with wood except by working with wood. If you're a musician, you never get better at music except by musicking. You've got to do the one thing that you want to do yet somehow or another. The very enemy of God has convinced us, don't get started in that, you're no good at it anyway. Oh, friend, God says, I know who you are, I made you. I knitted you together before you could think for yourself. Come and talk to me. I don't think there's anyone who would say, man, I don't want to pray or pray more effectively or pray with greater passion. I think I all want to do that. But there's something about prayer that reminds us how little we have to offer in it. It's a very humbling process by its design. In prayer, we don't come to God and tell him all the things he's missed out on this past week. We come to him because he is big, he's immense, he's imminent. And we're in light of that, nothing Maybe therein lies the biggest problem. We don't like being nothing. We want to be something. Sometimes we want to be something going around saying we're nothing. And we want to say we're nothing long enough that people think we're something. For being nothing. I just talked about humility. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? You won't respond because that would make you feel like you weren't being humble. Catch us now. Here's where he's coming to in prayer. Prayer by its nature, it's humbling because it's a dialogue with God Almighty and he will not be manipulated. He will not be coerced. It's humbling because when we consider the bigness of who God is, we're reminded of the smallness of who we are in relation. And yet people tell often that they pray. I was reading a study recently from Pew Research, a notable social science organization, a good, reputable uh, organization for surveys. And here's what they said. They said, in a study on the practices of religious people, they discovered that eight in 10 evangelical Protestants report daily prayer. Eight in 10 report daily prayer. Six in 10 who call themselves Catholic report daily prayer. And before you sit around and go, see there, look how good we are. 
Well, it didn't say what they were praying for. They might have been praying, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for some groceries. You say, well, that's not prayer? Sure it is. But if that's the sum total of what you got going for you, friend, you need to move up from some Cheerios to some T-bone. Because there's way more to it than that. Before we would look at that and say, well, it looks like we're killing it. There's still one in five that don't even pray daily. And even worse than that, it was just a study of religious people. So here's what else I found. Two in 10 claiming to be non-religious also claim to pray daily. I don't believe there is a God, but one in five of them pray every day to nothing. Can I just say that just doesn't, that doesn't sound logical. Not even in Mississippi, that doesn't make sense. I mean, that's just odd. If you're from Mississippi, I mean no offense. Odd. How about this? Jehovah's Witnesses were the most prayerful, 90%. Mormons at 85. So those with the truth, if we could say evangelical Protestants have the truth, I believe we do. They don't pray as much as people who worship a false God in a false system that leads nowhere. Forget about the landscape of religious people across America. Let's just talk about us. Do we? Do we believe that? Do we believe that God wants us to pray? Do we see in Jesus a model of prayer? Do we, in fact, engage as though God hears and God answers and we're desperate that without him we can't do anything as Jesus taught us to abide in John 15? Do we believe that? Well, why do people pray, Chris? Uh, There's at least five reasons. I mean, at least five motivations for for prayer. Here's one, that we'd be effective in our mission for effectiveness. Seeing the evidence of peace and power, prayer in other people's lives uh, would cause us to say, man, God's working through them. I want to pray and experience that. This happened with the disciples. Uh, Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, I believe it was probably Peter, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. You know what the disciples figured out when they were walking around with Jesus? They said, we say, we say for stuff to happen, and Jesus speaks and stuff happens. What else does he do? Man, he prays always and often and intensely as though somebody's listening. He must have the secret formula and the wording and stuff. Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples, you teach us. There's something to that for you and I to grasp today. There's a reason why we pray. We pray so that we can be effective at what we do. Uh, Another motivation is devotion. Devotion. Colossians 4 and verse 2, Paul writes to the church at Colossae instructing them, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. How can you be, how can you be thankful before God's even answered? Can I tell you, if I wanted to reach Governor Cooper tomorrow, I don't think he'd take my call. 
But if he did, I'd have to go through a couple of different people and explain what I wanted before I ever got a minute and a half of his time. By the way, Governor, if you're listening, I do have a few things I'd like to share with you. But, but, I've got no guaranteed access whatsoever. And yet, Paul says the king of the universe, devote yourselves to prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving. Why? Because you know he hears you. You know he's able. If you asked him for anything, there's nothing he cannot do. Devotion. Acts, we saw this earlier, Acts 1 verse 14. They were all with one mind continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the, the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. That word devote or devotion, by the way, is the Greek word proskartereo. And uh, it means to continue in or to persevere in, to be loyal to when it's referring to a person. It's closely related to the idea of discipline. So here's what it says. It says as a part of their daily devotion, their discipline, their routine, their habit, the, the, the part that made up their lives, they devoted themselves to prayer. I said it was related to discipline. Look at that motivation. It's uh, in fact discipline. A, a habit, a manner of life, uh, a decidedness if you will. Just as Jesus early in the morning lived out his days of seeking the Father, it becomes one's custom just in that same way. By the way, not that it matters to you necessarily, but that's, that's where it fits most naturally for me. Part of my morning, daily, routine, discipline, I get up in the morning and I have, I have God's happy juice which is warm water filtered through some coffee beans. And, uh, and it's a gift of God's grace. It reminds me of his love for me every single morning. I have that while I sit down with four or five different devotional guides and my scripture reading, which is the church Bible reading plan that I start with every single day. And the end of that devotional time is a time that I've set aside by discipline to go straight to our prayer wall and begin to look at the needs that have come up since the last time I looked at it and, and let God use that to prompt me how and when and where and for whom to pray. After all, if somebody's going to say, hey, Inglewood, hey, people, hey, anyone listening out there, would you intercede on my, my behalf before the Father in heaven for this? How could I not? It's just part of the daily discipline. I don't have time to do it. Remember Martin Luther? Remember Jesus in the midst of the busyness that the disciples had to come looking for him and said, Lord, they're already stacked up. We've used all the taken numbers at the taken number machine. We've got people lined up for you to go and bless them for a long ways. He said, let's go somewhere else then. The Father's called me to something. It's different than what the people are necessarily looking for. By the way, that's a sermon in and of itself. But he's called me to something, and we're going to do that. Where did he get that clarity? I imagine in that time of prayer with the Father, don't you? So we pray for discipline, a motivation of help. God, we need you. Philippians 4 and verse 6, probably something on a T-shirt you've got somewhere. It says, be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for, oh Lord, what makes us anxious? Uh, gas prices? Political turmoil? Uh, criticism? Uh, health issues? Money? Be anxious for nothing. But everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Paul, Paul seemed to think that if we told God, it'd be better. Boy, I think Paul's on to something, don't you? Here's Romans 1 in verse 9. And I, I like it from the New Living Translation. Listen to it from that translation. God knows, Paul says, how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. Man, what a, what a blessing to think that Paul, to his encouragement to this church, by the way, he hadn't visited there. As he writes to these folks, God knows how often I pray for you. He didn't call on them and say, you know, the guys who, uh, who write down stuff for me, my Emanuasis who covers my letters, he, he knows. No, he said, God knows. You know, you can fool a lot of people. You can't fool the Father. You could, there could be folks set around you or set in your connect group who could think you're a prayer warrior. But they know you might do. They don't know, but you know, and the Father knows if you're a drive-by prayer. Lord, bless all the missionaries and all the sick and all the broken and give me some money in Jesus' name. Amen. I covered everything today, Pastor. Praise the Lord for that. But you know what? God knows. And that's what Paul said. He said, God knows how I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news of his son. And then the fifth motivation, it's the motivation of delight. Delight. It's a Wait a minute, Chris, you discipline, I understand, I need something, I understand, but you're saying that some people are motivated by just joy in their heart in the act of doing? Yeah. Isn't it interesting how when we do what God's created us for, we find joy in it? Psalm 37 and verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Find your delight in him. Delight yourself in him. And there you'll find the desires of your heart. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, again from the New Living Translation. Jeremiah said, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight for I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. He said, God, when you, hey, let me just contemporize that. When you speak to me, God, when I hear from you, it's overwhelming to me. I delight in it. It's my heart's delight. Prayers we've seen may, may begin as seeking a met need, a need for help or for effectiveness. It could be a discipline or, or even a devotion, but it's also a delight. It's a delight to the Father's heart. Hey, isn't it? Paul's right there. Moms, dads, isn't it a delight to you when your children come to you and they just seek your presence? Not what you could do for them necessarily only, but they seek your presence. They want to be with you where you are. And when they need something and you're their first call, 
you're awfully quiet. Grandparents, isn't it a delight when your grandchildren come to you needing something, wanting something? Can I tell you, I read so many books this past week to a two-year-old who knew the books better than I did. He knew which door to open up in the lookbook to see what was behind it. And when I asked him crazy questions like, what's behind that door? He's like, red ball. Yeah, I know there's a red ball back there. Hey, but listen, he just, he just wanted to sit in my lap. And here, so is it a delight to the Father's heart when we pray? Yes, but it's also a delight to us because you don't get voicemail. You don't get a, an auto attendant response. We're sorry, heaven doesn't open till 8 a.m. You, you don't get that. You get the sovereign king of the universe who at the same time is listening to millions and millions and millions and millions of people all around the world cast their heart and he's no less attentive to you than to each one of those multiplied millions of people and he's able to answer every single one of the ask all at once and still delights in hearing your voice. Me, three people talk to me at the same time. I'm like, like my grandpa used to say, Lord, let me have some peace and quiet. Not the Father. Not the Father. Isn't it incredible that He would want us? Here's what I've learned through, through a few days walking with Jesus. You may hear a message like that and you go, well, okay, Chris. I, I get it. You didn't have to tell me I need to pray more. Hey, I'm just saying... I'm saying let the prayer desire God put in you, let it out. Because see, here's what happens. The moment we get saved, God doesn't start demanding stuff of us that's not, our, uh, not available to us to obey. That would be cruel, Jesus said, for the Father to ask of us something that we couldn't ultimately fulfill. He places a desire within us to yield to Him, to pray, to, to trust. The, the problem is sometimes we don't know where to start. We don't know where to start. We say, I want to, Lord, but I don't know how to, Lord. And the enemy, listen, what he loves to do at that moment is come in and start stacking in other stuff just ahead of obedience to that. He'll just stack it in. It'll be your washing machine will finally throw that belt that you've been listening to slap for six months. The car won't crank. Your boss won't stop talking. The cat, this is the day that it decided to show you that third hairball that you wasn't counting on. The dog chased the cat around. Chaos all around you. Your mind running a thousand miles an hour and Facebook driving you insane. But what if you could do something and put that back in front of all of the chaos. What if, just like Jesus, Lord, Lord, the crowds are coming looking for you. We came to find you. What if you could say, yep, but there's something we need to do that's of more priority. What if you could do something else? Hey, listen, we're going to try to make that easy for you because I, I believe with all my heart, there's not a Christ follower who doesn't desire a stronger prayer life or Maybe a prayer life, but you don't know where to begin. I want to help you with where to begin. 
our team's put together a tool that I think will be of use to you. In fact, if you've got a device or if you don't have a device, for some reason you're still using a flip phone, there's three of you left in Nash County. And if that's you, you and somebody, because I know we're two of them upgraded already. So, I mean, it was five. I, I've seen two upgrades, so there's three of them left. And you can't get to a device, but you've got a computer at home. It's running Windows 95, but you've got a computer at home. I got it. Here's what you could do, though. Jot down this, and then you can go do it when you get to your computer at home, maybe. But if you'll text the word, pray now. No space, just pray now. Text that. To our number, 252-888-2227. You'll text that. Here's what's going to happen. Tomorrow morning, you're going to get a prayer prompt. And it's going to say, hey, today pray for this. And what if you could in two minutes start doing what has somehow eluded you up to this point? Why not? Why not? And then, hey, you know what's going on the next morning? You're going to get another prayer prompt. You say, ooh, I hate it when my text messages go off in the morning. Well, set an alarm on your phone if that makes you sleep better at night. But, but why not? Why not? What might God do if we got prayer prompts over the next several weeks together? What might God do toward delight as well as discipline and devotion and effectiveness and our needs? What might God do? My heart's desire has been, it continues to be, and the Wednesday night crowd hears me say this often. What would it be like when our city could trust us to pray? When, whenever somebody entrusts a need to us, a concern to us, if they knew sometime that week, hundreds of people are going to call that name and that need before the throne of our, our Father in heaven. What if? You say, well, Chris, I don't really need a text message to remind me. Well, good. Praise the Lord. But what if you did? What if, what if you just did it anyway? Or what if you just kept doing what you're doing? God, if you, don't, if you already got that discipline, go for it. But if you don't, don't sit back on, I wished I could one day get to do something with it today. There are other tools that are available out there. And honestly, I just tell you, I, I wrote this down so I wouldn't be ashamed of saying it and try to get around it. But I'd struggle if I waited till I felt like it to pray. I'd struggle if I just waited till I felt like it. So there's part of me that's habit and discipline. And then I remember why it's delight. That's why I do it every day. If I skipped a day, it'd be kind of like my, be, I know y'all can't tell, but I hadn't been to the gym in a couple days. I know you couldn't tell it, but it'd be kind of like, like working out or eating right. You skip it once or twice, it gets hard to get back on the train. So it's a habit. It's a discipline. Are y'all following me? Or maybe it's the unreached people group prompt that you get on your church app. Or maybe, maybe you need a daily devotional guide. Maybe it's the one that I helped write. Or maybe it's like our word for the days that we keep usually around all the exits. Maybe it's a prayer bulletin you're getting in your connect group. Maybe it's a, a rope holder's email that's coming from one of our missionaries on the field somewhere. And they say, hey, this week, here's what you pray for. Maybe if you're looking for a prompt, try this. I, I thought of this over the weekend. I thought, man, this would be good. What if every day this week you texted somebody in your address book, in your phone, just one person, and you said, hey, man, how can I pray for you today? What might God do with that conversation? How can I pray for you? What's one thing I can pray for for you today? 
Your friend, first of all, will be like, I haven't heard from you in forever. But it might open the door for God to do something amazing. What might God do if his people did what God created us to be? You say, I, Chris, the reason I struggle praying is I don't know that God that way. Friend, there's nothing he would desire more than for you to know him in that way. How do you know that? Because the Bible says while we were still in active rebellion against him, Jesus Christ, his one and only son, came and died for us. That we could be reconciled to him and experience that joyous, overflowing wealth of relationship with him. And that could be you today. I'm going to invite you to pray with me right now, right where you are. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message has been a blessing. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. Simply drop by our website at inglewoodbaptist.com next or give us a call at 252-937-8254 and let us know how we can assist you. If today's message was an encouragement to you, let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us reach a wider audience with the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. We hope you will join us next week. And until next time, may the Lord bless you.